It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Introducing Built to Last, a new podcast by American Express. I'm Elaine Welteroff, and I'm excited to host the debut season where we will be deep diving into the stories, history, and continued legacy of small businesses that shape American culture. Through these important conversations, we'll hear how the Black business leaders of our past have inspired today's Black-owned small businesses and communities. Join us for the debut season of Built to Last on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Who they think they're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. As we said in the intro, this is Jake. You can find me on Twitter at JakeNFL. I'm here with my co-host Joe at Joe Goodberry on Twitter. If you don't follow us on Twitter, that's the best way to interact with us. This is something I've wanted to say for a couple weeks now, and I keep forgetting because we have like 4,000, 4,500 listeners or something like that, and I feel like we're not hearing from all of you. Uh, for stuff like the mailbag and that sort of thing. So if you're out there and you want to send us questions, you want to interact with us, go find us on Twitter. And for fantasy purposes, also, we did a uh, our first draft with listeners from the Lockdown Bengals podcast, and that was pretty fun this past, uh, what was that? Was that Wednesday night? It was. And uh, I, I caught some, at the very end of the draft there, I got some people a little upset when I took Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah, I was upset. Yeah, <laughs> it seemed like everyone was like, let's not draft Big Ben at all. He he went very late. It was a good value, but honestly, I would be totally okay if we just removed Steelers from the league. We should have done that, did that from the beginning. It was Joe, it was either Joe Flacco or Big Ben. Those are my two options for a backup quarterback. There, there were some other guys out there. No, there wasn't. Yeah, I don't remember <laughs> who it was, but there were other guys. Case Keenum. Yeah, I would. Yeah, okay. I mean, yeah, Ben makes sense there from a fantasy perspective, but he's a terrible human being, and he plays for the Steelers. So I'm proud of everyone for not drafting him in the first ten rounds. You know what? I got Tom Brady as my backup quarterback. You think I'll be able yeah, to yeah. flip him? Yeah, I think you should be able to. That's the plan. The pick that I hated the most of mine in retrospect is I picked Naheem Hines mm-hmm. for the Colts because he's you know a real pass catching kind of guy. We're a half point per reception. And, the Colts just aren't using him in the preseason, so I'm worried about it. Well, the Bengals haven't used Joe Mixon either, so but we know the situation there. Maybe some Colts uh, analysts can weigh in and say, yeah, I don't worry about it. All right. All right, so today we've got some news out of training camp. We've got some sad news, and then we're going to get into the game recap. So we'll start out on a somber note. If you didn't hear, Cedric Benson passed away last night, I believe. Uh, in a motorcycle accident at age 36. He was he rejuvenated his career in Cincinnati and was a big part of some of those team success around the 2010 t- couple years before and after 2010. 
Yeah, he was a top five pick for the Chicago Bears. It never really materialized there in Chicago. I mean, he he played, he started, I should say, in 12 games only in three seasons before being uh, released. Uh, 420 carries for them, just under 1,600 yards and 10 touchdowns, averaging 3.8 yards per carry. So nothing spectacular. And if you remember, uh, the Bengals in, in 2008, that was that was a terrible season. And remember they wanted to lean on Chris Perry. And then, you know, finally they're like, oh, Chris Perry's going to be our guy. And then he gets hurt for the final time. And the Bengals brought in other running backs. We're trying to figure it out halfway, not even halfway, uh, a quarter into the season. Uh, they signed Cedric Benson. And I remember thinking at the time, like, oh, you know, they're taking this former first-round pick as they tended, tended to do at that time. And I thought it wouldn't really turn out to be anything. And it ended up being really the catalyst of a different type of Bengals team from 2009 to uh, 2010, even 2011, Mm -hmm. where it was just a power-running team, revamped offensive line. Carson Palmer wasn't on his game anymore, and they leaned on Benson. And and especially that 2009 season, Cedric Benson was fantastic for the Bengals. 301 carries, 1,251 yards, six touchdowns. Uh, If you go back to that 2009 playoff game versus the Jets, 169 rushing yards off off 21 carries. I watched that game today, at least the highlights, to – just to remember it, and he was the only guy out there that had anything going for the Bengals' offense, and the reason they were even close in that game late in the fourth quarter. Yeah, and of course you all remember his excellent revenge game against the Chicago Bears yeah. in Chicago when he went for a crazy 180-something, yeah. had a touchdown in the fourth quarter, and the Bengals won that game like 45-3. to That's that's the game I'll always remember. That was the year they swept the NFC North. That's right. Um, He's a... Uh, number five all time for the Bengals in rushing yards and in his four wow. seasons. Yeah. That's, it's pretty crazy that he ended up being a complete bust for the bears and became a Bengal uh, in Cincinnati with 1100 carries and almost 4,200 yards, 21 touchdowns. I mean, those, those four years there were, were pretty good where he was the lead back, especially you forgetting him off the scrap heap. By all accounts, all the beat writers and his former players that are still on the Bengals have said he was a great guy uh, was willing to take the time to work with reporters, uh, by all accounts, a good human being. So sorry to see him go and uh, wishing his family all the best. You know, that's all you can really do. Indeed. Rest in peace, number 32. Moving on to some more present Cincinnati Bengals football news. A difficult transition, but one that we have to make on the podcast today. It looks like the Westerman Hive may have to stop buzzing as Christian Westerman may be set to retire from from football. What an interesting um, situation. It, it Just from the very beginning to now, to, to it to culminate in a um, series where he left the team and they're, they're placing him on the left team retired list, he has to Wednesday to officially decide if he decides to play football. He has to play for the Bengals, if, if you're not aware. So he's gotten to Wednesday. Uh, but it does seem like he is done. And considering all the reports we've had in the past and, and hints and rumors and, and, you know, things behind the scenes, it doesn't seem like he ever got it or ever was able to put it all together for reasons that seemed like they were internal for him. And, and just speaking with uh, some coaches that were around him, uh, they I guess they weren't too shocked that it, it eventually came to this. So, uh, yes. Christian Westerman, if you had a lot of high hopes for him, and I definitely did because when he was on the field, he was pretty good. And it's sad to see him uh, 
hang it up. And it, hopefully if, if it's for reasons where he needs to get himself together and get himself right, then I, I hope that's the case. And maybe we'll see him in the future. So best wishes to Christian Westerman and the Westerman Hive. A couple other notes today from Bengals practice. They were off yesterday, which I at first thought was weird because I can't do math well and I was having trouble translating the regular practice schedule during the season to the to Thursday games. So mm. I thought they were taking a day off extra, but they weren't. Just regular practice schedule, but a lot of guys missing. Travion Williams is done for the preseason, but he should be ready to go early in the regular season, if not uh, week one. John Ross still isn't ready, so he's not going to get to play in the third preseason game. So if he is going to play at all, it's going to be in week four with Indianapolis coming to Cincinnati. Cordy Glenn didn't practice today. He's not believed to have a serious injury, but if he doesn't play, it'll probably be Andre Smith, I guess. It might be O'Shea Dugas, who I think actually has played pretty well as an undrafted tackle, all things considered. I mean, he's only playing against deep backups, essentially, but I think he's played pretty well. Also not practicing Clayton Fedulam, Dark Wesenard, Drew Sample, Cody Core, Drake Kirkpatrick, Darius Phillips and Maurice Boringer. So quite a few guys not practicing. And those last five, Sample, Core, Kirkpatrick, Phillips, unknown injuries. Probably soreness or something, I would assume, if it's unknown. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one made it, or at least no reporters made it seem like anything was too serious or anything new was serious besides Travion uh, Williams, even though he should be ready. But one note um, on Jeff Hobson on Bengals.com, his quick hits, practice notes, or or, or I should say Sunday notes were that if John Ross doesn't play this week, maybe he's not even available week one and kind of hinted that maybe it could be core or Malone stepping into that role, which so far, I think what we've seen from practice and preseason, it would be Cody core, which I'm sure we'll have a full discussion before we even get to week one on who should make the roster at wide receiver and probably the final 53, Jake, maybe we'll compare rosters there, but uh, yeah, that's the situation on John Ross. I think that's a good transition into talking about what we saw from the offense and some of these receivers who was playing with the ones. And we'll get into that right after we take our first break. We'll be right back. This is Ross Jackson from Locked on Saints. This podcast is brought to you by Carvana. In the age of online retailers, buying a car should be no different. And that's why Carvana invented a brand new way for you to buy a car. That's 100% online. Without leaving the comfort of your couch, you can browse and buy from their selection of almost 20,000 cars. And once you've made the purchase, your car comes to you, delivered right to your door, or you can go and pick it up from one of the coin-operated car vending machines. All of Carvana's cars come with a seven-day return policy, ensuring that you get a car that fits perfectly with your life. Not happy? Exchange it or return it for a full refund. And with its dedication to customer service, it's why hundreds of thousands of customers have ditched the dealership and given Carvana 4.7 stars in customer satisfaction. So check it out, the nation's fastest growing auto retailer at Carvana.com, C-A-R-V-A-N-A.com, Carvana.com. Hey, what's happening? It's your boy Q, host of the Locked On Raiders podcast. And I hope you guys feasted on the MyBookie Turkey Day free play that allowed users to grab themselves a risk-free bet up to $250. It was basically a free shot at trying to double your money. If you didn't get in on that, what are you doing? 
No, nah, but seriously, now is the time to get some skin in the game with my bookie, where odds boost, lightning deals, and free bets await all season long. And with the NFL playoffs right around the corner, we know who these teams are. We know what they're capable of, and it's not difficult to find some value in the lines. Whether you're a first-time customer or have been playing with my bookie for years, there is no shortage of value to be found in the thousands of game lines, unique prop bets, and contests that they offer every week. Sign up or get reloaded today. Find an edge, make your bet, and get paid. They also boast a fully-fledged casino platform, giving you access to all the classic table, slot, and card games you'd expect to find at your local spot. And the best part is, at MyBookie, the doors never close, so you can continue to build your bankroll even after the stadium lights have gone out. Make the right play and sign up today at MyBookie. And when you do, use promo code LOCKEDON to get your deposit match halfway all the way up to 1000 bucks. The terms are simple. You put in $200, they'll match you with another $100 in your account. If you were already planning to bet this season, this is free betting money. It's winning season at my bookie, so come join in on the fun and win some cash while you're at it. Guys, let's talk about sex. Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up as twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Let me tell you, we get free samples, and if you think Marshawn Lynch has a good stiff arm, you've seen nothing yet. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor visits, no waiting at the pharmacy, and best of all, no awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than the pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code LOCKEDON. Just pay the $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code LOCKEDON to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, Faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Lockdown Bengals podcast. And we're back with the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Jake and Joe here. One last dive, one last look at the Bengals and Washington game from Thursday night. We're going to start with the offense. Now that we've got the film, we've got some grades, we've got more things to digest. We've got all the good internet analysts that have posted things, and I have uh, digested it myself. We've got more things to talk about, Jake. First, for me, is uh, I went back over the the first team offensive drive just to see what Andy Dalton, how many snaps, how many personnel, what it looked like, and who was out there with him. Because I think I've been seeing this a lot for other uh, quarterbacks, whether they're trying to get a feel for who the number one tight end is or who the number three receiver is. That guy who plays most with that quarterback should give you a good idea is the theory. So I went back with Andy Dalton. He had three drives. He was in the huddle 18 times. Now there was, what, six penalties or so. So they really only ran 12 or 13 plays. But I want to see who was in the huddle each time because that, I mean, to me, that constitutes who you're putting out there to uh, call a play. So this is how it went. This is the breakdown. C.J. Ozama had 17 snaps of Dalton's 18. Uh, Tyler Boyd had 16. The two snaps Tyler Boyd was not out there is when the Bengals went two tight end, two wide receivers. So Boyd was not out there because there wasn't a slot receiver. That was Core Malone on those two. So that's worth noting. We've talked about that before, and that was in-game for the first time I've noticed this preseason. Josh Malone, 14 snaps. Cody Core, 14 snaps. Travion Williams, 12 snaps. Auden Tate, 4. Damian Willis, 4. They both replaced uh, Malone and Core, respectively. 
And then Joe Mixon with three, Giovanni Bernard with two, Tyler Eifert with one. We know that target that was incomplete. Drew Sample with one in one of the two tight end sets. And one final note that I noticed on Mixon's three snaps, Andy Dalton was under center for those. And then they came to a third down. They went out in shotgun and Giovanni Bernard entered the game. So if you're wondering who still is that third down back, the guy that made pass protect, it may still be Giovanni Bernard, maybe because that's his role, maybe because Joe Mixon's not ready to handle it, as he really hasn't been in the first two years. So uh, interesting to me that it definitely was a three-wide receiver offense all the way down the field, just a couple of snaps, two wide receivers, two tight ends, taking Boyd off the field. Uh, but overall, I think what I expected, other than I think it gives us an idea of where the next set of receivers, who they are and, and what they are, and it's Auden Tate and Damian Willis, that they're both getting out there with number ones while Andy Dalton's still on the field. Uh, I think we can probably slide those guys in as maybe they're out the, the final two wide receivers that are actually on the roster right now. And I'm encouraged to hear that Damian Willis is one of those guys getting snaps with the first team. He's been consistently the best of that group in practice, I think. And the catch he made, the touchdown catch on the pass from Jeff Driscoll that was called offensive pass interference was an excellent play that I I guess that's offensive pass interference this year, but I doubt his offensive pass interference passed like week three of this year because it's getting getting ridiculous. Yeah, I agree. There was nothing there. I didn't even see it, to be honest with you. I watched it today again and I didn't see it. They're hand fighting a little bit, but it's going both ways. I don't see right. how you can call that on offense and not call it offsetting, if anything, right? Like, can you have offensive and defensive pass interference at the same moment on the same play? At the same time, there are some bad offensive pass interference calls in this game. But Damian Willis, I thought, was excellent. Uh, it was nice to see him get a chance to catch a deep ball. He is, I think he has great ball skills. He I doesn't think so. do much at a very, very high level, but I think he's, he's savvy, and I think he has great ball skills. And this extends back to his college tape and a lot of the highlights you'll see from that is where he's got good ball skills, uh, ball tracking, body control. He'll go up and play above the rim. Uh, So it was nice to see him make a play where he had to use some of that, even though he attacked the ball on the low end of that touchdown catch. Yeah, he doesn't have the elite athleticism from a top-end wide receiver, but he has a lot of the other tools and some of the innate kind of mental stuff that you like to see. And I, I would like to see him make the team for sure. I was going to talk about Ryan Finley next, Joe. Is there somebody else at receiver you want to talk about first? No, not really. Uh, I think, you know, Tate and Stanley Morgan keep making catches and plays, and they look like they fit. Uh, 37 snaps for Damian Willis, if, if you weren't sure on that also. Uh, that He played a lot, and we got to see a, a good chunk of them that we didn't get to see week one. And Josh Malone had another drop which you yes. don't want to see from those of you that believe in Josh Malone's athletic upside. Uh, that's two weeks in a row with a drop. Ryan Finley, though, to talk about him for a moment, was very good in this game overall. I think he has certainly secured the number two quarterback job at this point, although Jeff Driscoll was also serviceable in this game. Finley's just shown enough to tell me that they traded up for him. He's their guy. He's a fourth-round pick. They're going to want to keep him on the team. But I looked at PFF at where he threw and where he had success. And it's pretty obvious if you watch the game that he's much better, much more comfortable throwing in the middle of the field. And the numbers really bear that out. He was 13 for 14 for 111 and a touchdown in the middle of the field for 7.9 yards per attempt. He was 6 of 6 on his intermediate middle of field targets, Mm. which is 11 to 20 yards. 
outside the numbers. He only had two passes that were targeted more than 10 yards downfield. Both of those were incomplete. One of those was a pass that was broken up, I believe, to uh, Auden Tate on an out route. Yep. And he was seven for nine overall outside the numbers with most of those throws coming uh, between 10 yards or closer to the line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage. Checkdowns. Checkdowns were designed flat throws. One of them went to Mason Shrek. One of them went to Drew Sample for a touchdown. Both of those were throws that were technically outside the numbers. Auden right Tate on the bootleg. Right, yep, that one behind the line of scrimmage. Overall on passes outside the numbers, 3.9 yards per attempt. So none of that takes away, to be clear, none of that takes away from his ability to deal with pressure. I thought he managed pressure, especially from the edges, very well. He looked aware of where the pressure was coming from and knew that he was able to step up. I thought he climbed the pocket well while keeping his eyes downfield and made some really nice throws, including one to Damian Willis toward the end of the first half. And I think he had another one where he climbed the pocket and also found Willis in the middle of the field. Overall, Willis, by the way, while we're on the topic, ha- caught four out of his four targets in the 10 to 20 yard range in the middle of the field for 56 yards. And that goes along with his uh, deep, deep catch that we already talked about. You know, he climbed the pocket and did hit Drew Sample on one. And uh, it's when Sample was just running an in route at about 12 yards through the middle of the field. The first window wasn't there because Finley had to move a little bit and Sample finds the second window and it's a nice throw in between an enclosing defender and Sample catches it with his fingertips. So rookie, rookie. And if you look at PFF grades, both of them scored really, you know, exceptional for that game. Both were in the 80, actually same exact grade, 81.6, which is pretty, pretty good. And that's a good transition to talk about Drew Sample. He had, I thought, a much better game. He had a few really nice catches, including the one where he's kind of falling backwards, catching it behind his body, a really nice adjustment. I thought he looked natural on the touchdown catch. I think we talked about that one. But I also think he was much better as a blocker. Way I didn't better. pay much attention to it the first time I watched the game live on Thursday. But this time on the rewatch, I only noticed one time that he really got beaten. That was Montez Sweat. Pretty early in the game, gets underneath him and gets a tackle right around the one-yard gain on a running play. But besides that, I thought he was very effective as both a run and a pass blocker. Yeah, I remember that my comment to you was after week one that he looked awkward, right? I got none of that uh, this time. I was like, okay, he looks comfortable. He looks like he knows what he's doing. He looks faster. He looks smoother. There's a couple of routes where he's running downfield, and I thought, this guy's got some vertical speed, actually. Uh, but I did not feel this way I watching him week one. You know, he's a rookie in his first first appearance. And, you know, some people have also said, well, you guys shouldn't criticize him on their first game. Well, it's not that. It's setting the floor. And now let's see what they look like week two. And now what if he, again, puts in a good week, week three? You, might, you feel really good about the pick. Uh, being a second rounder, he looked like a second rounder in this past game. And I know it was only two catches. Didn't really get to stretch the field or anything like that. Uh, but both catches, one was doing your job type. The other one was a really great hands catch, and the blocking was superb. Getting beat three times probably last week, getting beat one time here, and it wasn't nearly as bad. It was like the the it was his best loss of his first two preseason games. This one against Montez Sweat, where Sweat gets a long arm into him, and uh, so overall, it, it was a good performance for the rookie. Two rookies, Finley and Sample. And you're probably wondering why we haven't talked about the offensive line yet. Generally, the pass blocking was very good. And this started with the first unit after they got through the penalties and went on to the second unit too. Andre Smith had a very good game. Again, Brad Lumbley last year on the practice squad had a really good game this week, especially as a pass blocker. O'Shea Dugas, for an undrafted rookie, he's going against backups to be fair, but I thought he played really well. He acquitted himself well. PFF grades bear this out. 
Michael Jordan as a starter, he had the penalty. But besides that, promising. Good as a pass blocker. Had some good run blocking plays, too. Uh, Looking down the list, Trey Hopkins and Billy Price, carbon copies. Trey Hopkins maybe a little bit better. Carbon copies. Yeah, I agree, and that's kind of how they've been. Someone asked me this earlier uh, uh, on Twitter. Is Trey Hopkins definitely better than Billy Price? I'm like, no. No, he's not. And, in fact, probably both guys should be starting when you figure out where which one goes to left guard, which one goes to center. But to be honest, uh, I don't see a big difference between the two. Just in, the biggest difference to me comes in type and who do you want and what type of player do you want at, the, at those positions. The other quality that might be in effect is, is football intelligence since it's the center, and we know that the centers have historically called protections for the Bengals' offensive line. We don't know if that's the case. With uh, Jim Turner, I forgot to ask that question to Billy Price, but something that could be a factor as well. We'll find out who they roll out next week. Zach Taylor refused to commit today, talking about Thursday's game against the Giants in Cincinnati. But we'll find out soon enough. We'll talk about the defense next after this break. Support for this podcast comes from CDW and Dell Technologies. At CDWG, we get that migrating your agency to a hyper-converged infrastructure is challenging. Like me switching to decaf. Gotta do it, don't wanna do it, but gotta do it. Whoa, slow down, friend. CDWG's experts can help simplify your transition from legacy to hyper-converged infrastructure with Dell EMC solutions that offer speed and agility. Do it, do it. Have you done it? Is it done yet? Why isn't it done yet? IT orchestration by CDWG. People who get it. Find out more at cdwg.com slash EMC. Support for this podcast comes from The First One with DJ Khaled, a new podcast only available on Amazon Music. What's up, y'all? This is DJ Khaled, and this is The First One. We hear from all the A-list music stars like J Balvin, Nas, and Kelly Rowland about songs that didn't change the game, but changed their life. It's almost like sometimes before you even get in the industry, it's like you set up to fail. And there's so many moments where you can win, and the winning is great, but it's so many things that you go through to get to the win. And so much more who tell their stories about the first hits that took them to the next level, changed their life, overlooked to being overbooked. When I was recording the song, I already knew it was going to be a global hit. And I'm not joking, my G. I really felt it inside of me. I was like, I just can't wait to see a number one. Join me every Thursday with the first one drops only on Amazon Music. Let's go. And we're back with segment three here to touch on the defense one last time after reviewing the game and getting some information and stats on it. Uh, for me, when I rewatched, I was focusing on Jermaine Pratt, just seeing the development and the step in their game for the first two rookies on offense, Ryan Finley and Drew Sample. I wanted to see how Pratt did. And I even thought uh, Michael Jordan, too. Rookies all around had a great game. So watching Pratt, I was I was encouraged. I thought he definitely took a step, maybe not two steps the way I thought Sample did, but he definitely took a step in the right direction. For me, though, the highlight of the game was that, and it wasn't, I was going to say just now, the first team defensive line and rotation, but I think it carried through even into the second team, Jake, uh, even all the way down to Rennell Wren flashing a couple times. But for the first time seeing Kerry win, I really enjoyed watching him. And I remember you asking me, uh, did Willis do anything other than the one strip sack fumble? And there was actually a couple other plays that I thought he made an impact. So watching him again really highlighted it for me. And PFF loved Willis with a 91.6 grade. I think he's graded as the the highest graded defender on the team. And he's out there almost every single snap once the starters are out. 
And in our initial review of the game, I hadn't actually noticed Carey win a ton. I, I noticed him a lot more on rewatch. I thought he was good in the run game. I thought he was solid as a pass rusher. Not great, but he did his job. And speaking of pass rushing, Carey Wynn, Sam Hubbard, Rennell Wren, all these guys were contributing and playing off each other a lot on stunts. That's right. And I noticed this because in the Bengals' first nickel snap, Kerry Wynn was a right defensive end with Sam Hubbard at right defensive tackle. There was a holding penalty on that play. And then the next play, they switched up. And then Sam Hubbard ran a stunt around Kerry Wynn, who did a very good job of occupying his man. And that was Sam Hubbard's uh, sole pressure, I think, of the game. Uh, He only played a few snaps, but that was his pressure on his limited snap count. And then that was a theme throughout the game. There was a lot of end tackle stunts. Uh, where they're, the the tackle is occupying the interior offensive lineman, and the, that's freeing up the ends to really actually get a free rush up the middle. Yeah, and someone asked me on Twitter, can I define what a stunt is, especially if we're going to see it a lot, right? And it's basically an end tackle stunt um, or, or tackle end stunt, you know, both. Anyways, so the defensive tackles are going to loop. Um, I should say the defensive ends are going to loop from the outside, back to the inside. They want to go up against the guards while the defensive tackles are going to try and angle their pass rush towards the tight end. So picture that they're going to go and they want to drag the guard that's going to be blocking them or supposed to block them into the offensive tackle. Now, if they can occupy two people, it should leave a free lane back inside. And you'll see this a lot. It's not, not rare. Not often are you going to have just a stunt on one side. You'll typically have it on both sides on the same, on the same place. So we saw that a lot. Kerry Wynn's sack was on a stunt where he comes back inside, swim moves over the guard that is late getting back over. And he gets his first sack and, and his first appearance with the Bengals. One other Kerry Wynn play I wanted to highlight was there's a little screen Washington tried to run on a third and 18 and Kerry Wynn knocks over the running back who's like sort of trying to chip him, maybe not, but Wynn knocks him over. And I wonder if that was a conscious choice to like, if this is a screen, I'm going to take this guy out and blow up the play or if it was kind of coincidence because after he knocked him over, he still went after the quarterback instead of staying with the back in case he got up. Right. So I'm not sure if it was intentional or if it was just a happy coincidence, but that that was a noteworthy play to me. One thing that, to also mention that because Drake Kirkpatrick wasn't playing, it was B.W. Webb on the outside playing his, in his place. It was Tony McRae taking the next snaps as the nickel slot corner. And Tony McRae's flashed a lot in special teams. He continued to play throughout the game. I think he had 39 snaps or, or in that range uh, against Washington. So I, I think he's on the roster. If we're looking at this backup corner battle, uh, it's getting pretty deep. Uh, you look at the top two rated corners on PFF through two weeks, it's Devontae Harris and Darius Phillips for the Bengals. And then Tony Lippett gets a strong grade from them. And I thought Lippett looked much better in this week than he did week one. So overall, I think it's getting pretty thick there and, and, we make it to the point where we like somebody that's going to get cut. I think we are getting toward that point, especially with the amount of guys I like at the end of the wide receiver roster list and the Mm -hmm. guys on the defensive line. Andrew Brown is a name we haven't mentioned yet. I thought he had another good game. He drew a hold. He had a couple good pressures. He still doesn't look like he should be playing defensive end unless he really has to, but he still has that elite get off off the snap and that explosion leads to a lot of pressures. Rennell Wren, I thought when he was on, he was getting some explosive impacts off the snap as well when he timed it well. So it's a very deep room on the defensive line. It's a very deep room at, at wide receiver. 
maybe they only keep five linebackers because there isn't anybody that's really standing out there. Darren Simmons today said on the Bengals.com piece that somebody, one of those backup linebackers has to step up on special teams because none of them are really playing all that well yet. And that includes Jermaine Pratt. And this is specifically about special teams. Jermaine Pratt is obviously on the roster. That's not what this is about. Right. And you got to think if you're Darren Simmons, it'd be great to, you know, we never get the special teams depth chart. We never get to hear from him too much because if you're going to go short or light at linebacker, you can't just plug them in. You can't say, well, I'll keep an extra corner or wide receiver because those don't play the same position on special teams. It'd have to be sometimes a bigger safety, a tight end, a running back if it's a 225 guy, Rodney Anderson. Uh, maybe a DN that's athletic enough, maybe Kerry Wynn because he's done it, uh, you know, special teams in that capacity. So knowing that back end and how they can mix and move it, which honestly special teams is my weakest area in all of professional football any football to be honest but uh so projecting those final few spots are gonna be tricky especially when you definitely feel we know linebackers a weakness but watching those guys out there even the first team guys are not doing anything they're not standing out the lowest graded guy through i think it's 18 snaps or 17 snaps uh from the starters is preston brown on the entire defense on pff preston brown's got like a 28 grade and i don't even notice him so i don't know how he has that but point being is he's a ghost out there they might well be playing with 10 guys when i watch him uh and then the backups are just non-existent besides pratt i'm looking at these guys even jordan evans and i'm i'm not even sure any of them should be on the field interesting note on special teams since you mentioned carrie when there he played the second most snaps for the bengals on special teams this week at 15 behind only Mason Shrek, who had 19 special team snaps. Auden Tate also had Mm. 12 special team snaps this week. Brandon Wilson had 12 special team snaps. I think Brandon Wilson is easily the fourth safety on the team right now. Damian Willis had eight special team snaps. So these guys are getting chances. And Damian Willis actually had a pretty good grade on special teams as well. And so did Kerry Wynn. That's interesting because, uh, like saying Mason Shrek, and he played a lot, uh, from what I understand, they like Seathan Carter as a special teamer too. So if you go light at linebacker, maybe keep that extra tight end for the special teams because of the size and, and you know, athleticism-wise, they're pretty similar. Are we talking about keeping five tight ends then? No, I don't think so because Carter's not healthy right now. He didn't, he didn't play the game. Right. You know, concussion, I believe they said it was. Uh, I could be wrong there, but I thought that's what they said. Uh, Mason Shrek has never been able to stay healthy. So yeah. maybe we'll see what it looks like in two weeks. Yeah, I think that injuries could definitely play a part there. Seathan Carter did look really good at the practice that I saw in person with that deep catch. But Mason Shrek also ran two guys over uh, against did. Washington. And that was a pretty impressive play from him. Uh, Jordan Evans, though, speaking of him, he played a little bit better this week. I thought um, didn't have major blown coverage issues. Uh, one concerning area to quickly mention is Sean Williams and man coverage two weeks in a row now has not gone super great, right? They're isolating him on tight ends and saying, you got this and he doesn't have this. And, uh, so that, that's going to be something they're going to have to rectify and figure out, uh, if they either have a a linebacker that can take that responsibility or how else are you going to treat the tight end because you can treat him as a wide receiver also for some teams. So do you, you bring out dark West Denard in those situations once he's healthy. But then I, I question how that impacts the scheme. If they're trying to play single high odd coverages, as much as we've seen them doing it so far, what, what does Sean Williams do? If he's got to, he, he's got to get down there and cover. Yeah. Yeah. So 
One final note for me on defense. Uh, Zach Taylor said today that all healthy players will play. That means we will see Carl Lawson and Geno Atkins for the first time on Thursday. I'm so excited to see Carl Lawson play again. I hope he ruins someone's day. I hope he only gets five snaps and gets out of there. Yeah, but I hope he has like six six sacks on those five snaps. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly that. We'll also see Kevin Zeitler this week back in New York. Going against Geno Atkins like they used to all the time in practice and then in the AFC North. Kevin Zeitler just cannot escape Geno Atkins. No he cannot. <laughs> but have you seen Daniel Jones at all for the Giants? We'll talk about the oh, Giants man. if we get close, but he's been pretty fun. Future Hall of Famer Daniel Jones making us all look bad. Remember we laughed during the live show during the draft? Oh, yeah. All right. Sweet it, Right. <laughs> That'll do it for today's episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. We'll be back tomorrow with practice updates, news, and notes. Going to work in some mailbags this week. We probably are like 10 players behind on the countdown to kickoff because we keep having actual football to talk about, which is great. Until then, Bengals fans. Have a good one. Did you watch the 2020 Reds with higher expectations than a first-round wild-card exit of epic proportions? Did you think that the Reds hitting would come around with the signings that they made last offseason? Are you wondering who is asking you all of these questions? Hi, my name is Jeff Carr, and I host the Locked On Reds podcast each and every day, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, every day. Throughout the offseason, I'm going to take a look at these Reds, how they fix what didn't work in 2020, and how they continue their success in 2021. But wait, there's more. I'll also have interesting interviews with players, writers, and everyone in between talking about the Cincinnati Reds. Come join me on the Locked On Reds podcast each and every day.